Welcome back to the MLS Net Boys podcast. How are you doing, Jacob? Guess how I'm doing. Guess how I am doing. I know how you're doing because you and I last night experienced supreme joy. You know, this is episode 10, I think. Double digits. Maybe I don't it's even remember. I think it's, ten, I think it's 10, actually. But... Every week we come on here, and I get myself in the zone, like getting all the stats, and I just remember the Timbers lot losing because the only other game they won was that game that was postponed, so we didn't even talk about it on the show. So eight weeks in, we can say with confidence the Timbers won a game, and it feels even better that it was against the Seattle Sounders. I love, you know, Seattle. Pretty much a dynasty team the last decade in this league. But I love watching Seattle Sounders just completely self-implode and just lose control of a game like that. Dude, all that like talking we were doing about Geo last week, but you were completely right. He just has Brian Schmetzer's number. Because I think we talked about it after the game, that statistic that in the last four games, Timbers have beat Sounders and they've outscored them 11-2. to That's insane. I think since Geo took over... He's got 12 wins against Seattle, six losses, and like there's been like two draws. So like I think Geo's beat him twice as much as they beat him. And yeah, say what you will about Geo, but that guy that guy turns up for Seattle. I was telling Chase like right after the game, I said if Geo does go soon, they better just hire him just to come in and do like a a hype talk every year when they play the Sounders because I don't know what that guy does to his team against these guys, but love it. I was. So hyped after this game. I'm back in the G-O-N chat, dude. Get that guy. Just get him for wants. the Timbers and Seattle game, dude. That was, I don't know what it is. I don't know how he gets the guys fired up. Other than that 6-2 game. Like, we'll just not talk about that. I um, saw. since That was the last time they beat us. So, four straight games. And that's, that's history. You know, I'll take that 6-2 loss now if I knew... We'd be beating them 4-1 at home, 3-0 in their house. Love it. I would love it if we beat them. <laughs> Keegan, or some Kevin Keegan history right there. Sky Sports Retro. Anyways, let's uh, let's dive right into it. The scores of the week it is officially wrapped up. LAFC and LA Galaxy just finished their game. So let's, let's start at the top. What's the first game we got? In order, we've got Charlotte hosting Colorado Rapids 2-2 draw. Camille Jaswiak gets another goal for Charlotte, finally. But this one, Charlotte's going to be really disappointed. They had this result, and literally, like, one of the last, last pieces of action of this game, they have an over-the-top ball. Colorado's attacking. Charlotte's goalkeeper goes to catch it. Just fumbles the ball, and then Michael Barrio steals it completely through on goal. No goalkeeper, like six yards out, slots at home. So disappointing for Charlotte. Like, you would love to see when a man with a nice mohawk just is turning up in the league. Michael Barrios, I always liked him when he played at FC Dallas. Dude was pretty electric on the ball. So good for him, um, you know, just turning up for Colorado finally. Yep. Here's a game we we had predictions on. A big matchup in the East, Columbus hosting New England. And 1-1 draw. Um, Columbus with a goal at the last kick of the game, pretty much. 90th plus 8th. You want to pronounce that name? Do you see it on there? Or 
Zawadski. Sure. Dude, that guy is my standout D mid in our FM save, actually. That guy is lights <laughs> out for me. Sean Zawadski. Yeah, and we'll have a little more on the, the post-game antics about this from classic Bruce Arena. But, yeah, point of peace. Uh, Columbus leaves it late at home. Another, <laughs> not to pile on Montreal, but, man, Montreal hosting D.C., DC wins 1-0. Um, Lewis O'Brien scores for DC, his first goal from the club on loan from uh, Nottingham Forest, 11 seconds into the half. Montreal fresh off, I think what we can say is the worst trade I've ever seen in MLS. Yeah, let's let's dive into that a little bit. That was so puzzling. Like, as, a, as a, just a league fan, I think everybody who kind of follows the league was really just confused when they saw that. Like, so Montreal ends up, they send Kamal Miller to enter Miami along with, it was $1.3 million and $1.5 million in GAM, general allocation money. And in return, they get Bryce Duke. And who was the other player? It was Ariel Lassiter, the striker. So essentially, terrible trade. (laughs) Kamal Miller... Just an amazing like MLS center back, 25 years old, so he's not even in his prime as a center back yet. Guy was one of the best in the league, I think. Guy for was sure. lights out for Canada during their their uh, qualification for uh, World Cup, and he's had maybe a month and a half of kind of rough form just recently. But that's to be expected with Montreal just completely gutting their team and then just playing a back three and expecting him to like hold it together. So. Just terrible business. I know Montreal has a lot of money to burn after that Ishmael Kone like selling and all this other stuff that they've just offloaded players. They brought in a ton of money, but what a terrible way to spend it, dude. Like Bryce Duke, great talent. I I really liked him at um, Inter Miami, but if you're bringing him in to kind of fill the hole that Georgie Mihailovic left, and you're spending 1.5 million and giving away your best player, not a good look for your team. The only logical explanations that I saw for this were all like tinfoil hat like levels of like conspiracies. They were talking about how like the leagues maybe making them do this so like like they have like enough cash in for Messi and Busquets. It'd be more for Busquets because Messi, they're just gonna do whatever they can to get him there. And I don't know. The only other thing was that Kamal Miller's expressed he wants to go to Europe, so maybe they know he like wants to be out, and they maybe know he would have left in the summer anyway, so they're trying to get what they can for him. If it was just the trade, I could have kind of, like, I still would have think it was a dumb move, but I would have solved the logic, but then sending $1.3 million, like, what a waste. That's, it's insane, man. I mean, but I think the first theory is right. I think Don Garber knows that Messi's going to be on that bench with Busquets because Bryce Duke and Ariel Lassiter are immovable out of that starting 11 once when the time comes but I yeah I can't like I just still can't wrap my head around it and it's been about like a week since I found out about this signing and I've still like I've seen a lot of like posts and whatnot about it and I've kind of still been trying to wrap my head around it and I just don't understand what they were thinking especially with like how the league is there isn't very many good domestic center backs within the league right now. And that's such like an invaluable asset to have as a team. So for Montreal, just to just completely just let that go. How depressing from last season. Second, they like could have honestly, 
I believed in them that they could make it to MLS Cup, and then now, I think a lot of it has to do with Hernan Lasada. Honestly, he was such a polarizing coach, and he demanded so much. I don't know if you saw that like article that came out. It was some player on DC, like when Lasada was at the helm, and when Lasada got fired, a lot of the fans were upset. But like one of the players came out and was saying, like, "Yeah, this guy like got like mad at me for like." having like a bag of chips he saw like on my he said like the trainers went up to him like after a game and saw like he had some like not healthy food on his like instagram picture of him and his wife like having a picnic or something and they were like kind of getting mad at him for not being like like up to the standard even though he like passes all the fitness tests and stuff so i honestly i wouldn't be surprised if kamal miller just was fed up of this hernan lasada I wouldn't doubt it. I'm not a fan of Hernan Lasada, and it's one of those guys that I think should be kind of making room for more like young, exciting coaches to come into the league. Um, I don't like kind of this like coach like merry-go-round you see within MLS that you almost kind of see in England sometimes with like the lower division teams. Like you see like the Roy Hodgson's, like the Sean Deitches, guys like that just kind of get passed around to these like lower level teams, but. Like, that's one thing I really liked when Gio came to Portland is he, like, kind of worked his way up. He was in the USL with, like, the Cosmos and then got his, like, chance. And it's exciting when you see a new, exciting, like, young coach come up and try and prove himself rather than just like, oh, man, we're going to just sign this guy that did very mediocre with D.C. United. Yeah, that's it's exactly right. I, I am not a fan of that either. I feel like we didn't see it as much as I'm in MLS before. I used to see it in England a bunch. Yeah, you got those guys who just just get their teams in the relegation zones then get fired and then somehow get a mid-table job like failing upward and now that lampard (laughs) what a crazy saga that's been but i saw a stat that every team he's taken over for the position they were in when he took over he's finished like one or two spots below where they were at when he took over yet he's like still managed to like he went from like Darby to Chelsea to Everton, and now he's back at Chelsea. But this is an MLS show. We're not going to talk about mediocre British people who couldn't even handle the grit of MLS as a player. On par, though, because we were talking, we were just about to go to NYFC, NYCFC, and, you know, former New York City lad, Frank Lampard. The retirement home of Frank (laughs) Lampard and Andrea Pirlo. That's right. New York City FC hosting at... Their home away from home, City Field, not Yankee Stadium, their other baseball stadium that they play in. Um, <laughs> 2 1 win over Nashville. Keaton Parks scores a nice volley, actually. Maxime Cheneau gets on the board, and then Haney Mukhtar, consolation for Nashville. Dude, it's like I said, I think I said this last week when we were talking about the Timbers, but it it's true for Nashville, too. Their whole game plan hinges on the first goal. Like, even when you look at the stats in this game, like, if you score the first goal and you score it early and then you just let Nashville try and do anything, they are useless, dude. Like, if they can't just hit on the counter and give Hani Mukhtar the ball and just see what happens, they're useless. And, like, even with them going down early, they still didn't, didn't, like, dominate possession because they don't know how to hold the ball. So, I don't know. Nashville, I, I love some of the guys on their team. It's just I hate the way they play. Yeah, it's kind of hit or miss for them, it seems like. Good win for uh from New York City um, at home, though. So next up, exciting game, Toronto to Atlanta 2. 
Richie Larea with a nice strike for Toronto. Uh, Georges Jumakis for Atlanta gets one of their goals. Atlanta's up 2-1, but Brandon Cervania gets a goal at the death at the end of the game, freshly coming over from FC Dallas. What do you say? How did this make you feel being the uh, Toronto FC manager and our football manager 23 save? So... I've been sucking at FM. I had no experience at this. And, you know, it was funny because I was just giving this guy a a shout on our FM squad because he's kind of buried in the depth chart. I have Michael Bradley at CDM, obviously, because he's my best defender in game. But that guy has to be taken out at like the 50th minute every game (laughs) because he's just exhausted. So I put in Brandon Cervania and yeah, he's he's done well for me in FM. So it was kind of kind of cool to see him score in real life, too. I, uh. I got a goal from him in FM as well, so big week for him. Gets a goal in real life, gets a goal on the famed MLS Netboys FM save. So. Yes, sir. Dude, a uh, couple interesting things about this game, though, is Tiago Amada still not back in the lineup, kind of showing how Atlanta really needs him if they want to be successful this year. Also, how do you think it was post-game Michael Bradley being benched by his own dad at Toronto? You, know, you think the drive home was awkward? You think they still ride together like when he was a kid, like ride together to the stadium? You know, it's bound to have happened sometimes. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised he's like been still that guy for them. He seems to have like that, not on the same level because I think he's regressed a lot more, but that, that Diego Chara kind of spot locked down. He's just been that linchpin in the center mid forever, but... I don't know. I I like Bradley. I'm not a Bradley hater by any means. I think his end with the national team was disappointing. He got he took pretty much the brunt of like that 2017 non-qualification and I've kind of I've loved to see him do his thing with Toronto for so long. I wish he stayed in Europe longer um cuz he was it was cool to see him at a big club like Roma, but it was bound to happen, but I, I love that he still contributes, and he got like a goal like two weeks ago or something. So, little upsetting for you to not see Shane O'Neill get in the game as well, huh? <laughs> this dirty man right here, I'm talking to <laughs> Chase. He he sets up his Columbus Crew team on FM, and man, <laughs> Shane O'Neill just took the. I I don't even know how to describe what happened. That guy fumbled the bag so hard, and. You know, Chase is out here winning six nil games in his FM save, like crushing teams. I was winless, so I was like terrified. And then we get to the game. Not a super like eventful game, I feel like. And then Shane O'Neill misses two like runs by missing a header. Chase's guy scores twice, two nil for Chase. Like the exact same goal, two times in a row. My boys get fired up apparently. I made some tweaks at halftime. I score two goals to bring it back. Uh, Marshall Ruddy scores a worldie for me. And then we go right down to the other end of the pitch. And he has a P-roller across that Shane O'Neill hits in his own net. And then the cherry on top was another long through ball. Shane O'Neill tries to, like, trap it with, like, his shins. It goes off his leg. Puts uh, Cucho Hernandez through for the hat trick. Ends up 4-2. What a game, dude. That was <laughs> I was that was, the I best. was every other game I was just kind of letting my boys play, but for that game I I got deep in the uh the like 
strategy. Like our <laughs> our other friend that plays with us is he's a big FM guy, and he was like, we've shared both our screens with him so he can jump in between and kind of see what's going on. And he jumped to my screen at one point. And he's just like, dude, what the heck? I didn't even know you could do that. I was like, I was in like the individual player instructions, and I was telling my guys like how to mark on like Bernadeschi, and I was telling them where to target their passes at. This guy's doing combinations with the joystick I've never seen before, <laughs> flicking the stick around, just making all these random changes. Another thing, too, that before we we can stop talking about the video game simulator after this, but the whole reason Shane O'Neill was on the pitch for this was because <laughs> my like my marquee center back signing I made at the beginning of the year got injured like two days before the training. So I tried to give him a, like one of those shot things to like get him ready for just the weekend. And then that didn't work either, so he was out. So just right when I played Chase. Perfect timing. I'd sent uh, sent somebody over to you guys' training ground to injure him. I hate how we talked more about our FM game right there than we talked about DC United all year, probably, <laughs> <laughs> or any of these teams. Or this next game, Austin-Vancouver, nil-nil. I don't want to talk about this. I don't know, man. I just feel so bad for Austin right now. Vancouver couldn't care less. I like to see when they have a high level of play. <laughs> um, I I like what they're building. Like I like their coach, and I like wait a like minute. that Simon <laughs> Betcher or whatever his name is. So so you feel bad for Austin, who's this is their third year, and they had like one of the best seasons of all time for like a new club. But Vancouver, who's been a Mid team for like you think I'm gonna, you twelve think I'm gonna, years. You think I'm gonna, you feel bad for Austin? You think I'm gonna care about a random Cascadia Cup irrelevant like contender? I don't care about Vancouver, and they beat us last week, so that's true. Screw them. But I do like what Vancouver's building, and I like that it makes the West more competitive. I feel bad for Austin, dude, just being dumped out of Champions League and just look terrible in the league so far. I kind of like when this happens, too. Like It's like a fall from grace. Like Looking forward to St. Louis's whenever that happens, for real. Like Cincinnati is a team who they came... It was the opposite. They were awful their first few years, so I like seeing them do good. LAFC, I, love, I would love to see them be miserable right now. Like Those sort of teams who just start off pretty good, I like when they fall to grace. Atlanta's like kind of last crappy two seasons. Love it, dude. Atlanta was the new Seattle. They were just like miserably like annoying fans who just thought they were on the top of the world and like it feels different with Austin though like they weren't that great their first season and they built up something and they have like a really fun style to watch plus they have Maxi Arudi I like that he's kind of nailed down that like striker spot and I just I love Maxi Arudi I wish that guy would come back to Portland but I don't know it feels different because I completely agree with you LAFC I would love to see that team just do terrible in the league one year. Atlanta, it's fun to watch them fail. New York City FC is another one. Like, all these, like, really, really big money teams, whereas Austin's not, like, a big money team, you know? Like, I could, they kind of remind me a bit more of, like, a Portland or, like, kind of those, like, mid-tier teams that, like, push up towards the top. Willingly putting us in the mid-tier category. Dude, it's, you can't deny it. Timbers are not, like, a top-tier, like, market. We don't spend a ton of money. The market. We get ignored by the league. We get ignored by the media. But we actually see we we don't get like the coverage like Seattle gets. How they'll just fawn over us. But Portland, I feel like, does get a lot of media coverage compared. I'd say it's like LAFC definitely first. 
Atlanta, Seattle, the Galaxy, and then I New York City. I don't know. I feel like it's kind of tied, honestly. Until they, I feel like we're kind of like slightly behind them, and maybe yeah, New York City and Toronto kind of category. And you know, Miami. As soon as they get either Messi or if they don't get Messi, they're gonna go in for some other random big name, and then it's just gonna be like everybody's gonna fawn over them. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I guess I am like a little spoiled as a Timbers fan because we do get some coverage. Imagine just being like a Colorado fan. I knew you were gonna say that. I knew as soon as you looked at me, you were gonna the words Colorado or Rapids were gonna come. Either gonna be. I was. I had like a little wheel spinning in my head, and it's gonna be either Colorado, RSL. I was gonna say San Jose. Yeah, they're quietly been pretty successful. You don't hear nothing, huh? Yeah. Moving on, Chicago to Philadelphia to. Chicago at home, and, you know, disappointing for Chicago, actually. They were up 2-0 at home to Philadelphia. Same thing they did earlier. They they were up 2-0 at home against Cincinnati, and then they blew a two-goal lead, and then they do the same thing to Philadelphia. The thing is with Chicago, though, is their fans are probably way happier that they're at least getting games like this rather than the alternative you know like i feel as funny as it is like i feel like kai kamara has like single-handedly made this team relevant this year like he didn't place right now he didn't score in this game but i feel like just his presence and like his goal scoring ability in like the previous games has just fired this team up so much and the fact that they don't have shakiri on the field has also just made them play way better that's a good point because I can't think of another player on Chicago who's like a like a veteran of the league like Kamara is. I feel like they don't have that experience. They've got like some like pieces, but it's hasn't been there. But yeah, Chicago, they're eighth place right now, but only only one loss on the season for Chicago. They're ahead of Toronto, Philadelphia, Red Bulls, Charlotte, Miami, Montreal. If you would have said that from like last year last year's Chicago Fire team, I feel like you'd be pretty impressed, but what a disappointing thing from Philly, fresh off of making it to the semifinals in Champions League. Yeah, it's a... I don't know. Philly just seems like they kind of solely have their focus on Champions League right now. Like, I think with the expansion of the playoffs and the strength of their team, it's almost like Jim Curtin was just kind of like, just forget the beginning of the season. Like, Especially after the like the supporter shield loss last year, like being tied on points with LAFC and then getting screwed over by like our weird rules in MLS, he's probably just like, forget supporter shield. We're gonna make playoffs no matter what because it's just ninth ninth place and up. So he's like, let's just focus on Champions League right now, and then no matter what, at the end of the season, I think they have so much strength they can put together a good enough run to make it in playoffs. See, I I disagree with that like viewpoint like not i'm not saying you're wrong because i feel like that is they're kind of prioritizing that but lafc's like doing the same thing they are and they're just going all out they've yet to lose in the league and i would imagine especially since yeah they missed out on the shield by that tiebreaker and then because of that didn't host mls cup and they didn't have that home field advantage i would assume that would fire them up to be like hey we're gonna win every single game we can because it's kind of unheard of in MLS. If you prioritize one of those things, 
you usually fall on the other ones. Whereas like LAFC right now is kind of dominating everything, which you don't really see that often. I would assume that's where they're at, but I mean, we'll see by the end of the year. Yeah, I don't know. Cause it's like one of those things where you never know what the mood is in the locker room. Like you don't know where your players are at. Like guys like Kai Wagner, who really expected a big move overseas and then didn't get it. Like coming back, it's kind of hard seeing where your guys like minds are at and like how you're going to motivate them so maybe that's where like they're finding their motivation is like you know we lost in these like competitions last year but we're going to prove them wrong by proving that we're like the best on the continent you know or i don't know i agree though like if if it were me like if i was a part of that team i would be solely focused on like wanting to win the league and if i was jim Curtin, that's what i'd be putting my energy into like Champions League, the fact that it comes down to just a couple games is so hard to do. But throughout the league, I'd just be putting way more energy into that. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, point of piece for this. We're going to move on to our next game. FC Dallas beating Salt Lake 2-1. to Jesus Ferreira with another goal. Dallas wins it, though, in the 88th minute. And kind of quietly, Dallas is in fourth place in the west only st louis lafc and seattle are ahead of them so you don't really this is another team you don't really hear much about but quietly they're kind of putting stuff together i like this fc dallas team dude i like the way they set up they're just fun to watch but something about this game that you don't see very often is real salt lake with more than 50 percent possession they they had more possession than fc dallas dude that does not happen very often so good on them also Good on them for not losing 4-0 like they were doing. Remember that stretch where they were losing 4-0? Also, FC Dallas only had four shots with two on target and scored two goals this game. So That's what you call efficient right there. Proving that they were just more clinical than uh, Real Salt Lake. Real Salt Lake just, I feel bad, dude. They just don't have the pieces there to really put like a, (laughs) just a good. You feel about them how I always talk about like Chicago Fire and dc united the the club you just they're so forgettable yeah i don't know man i i'm not a like a real salt lake fan by any means but <laughs> i don't know it's just something about like these kind of middling teams in like mls i just i wish it was like similar to like other like american sports or it seems like every team has like one just like lights out like great player like portland trailblazers for example have like damian lillard like and all the terrible games they have, terrible seasons, they still have one guy that's just like lights out. But like when you look Justin across Merrim the league, <laughs> doesn't tick that box for you. He didn't even play for them. Oh, he he got subbed in. <laughs> but it's just like I don't know, man. It's it. I know it's just complete different sport, but it's I know just what you depressing. Mean. It's just depressing when you see these teams that just all they're there is just they're just there to like make a push for ninth place and feed points to like the top four teams in their conference. You know, they had that great run a couple of years ago. I'll say that. They made it to the semifinals when nobody believed in them. And that's what makes those sorts of runs sweeter. Um, but, you know, they've won an MLS Cup, which is something a lot of teams can't say in this league. So I'm also, as a Timbers fan, more scared of these teams than I am of, like, the top four teams. Because these are the teams that just, like, destroy the Kills team. our season. Yeah. yeah, these are the teams where, like, Geo just gets it completely wrong and we just get, like beaten down the same wing like 17 times and a half seen that before how about not an upset but a kind of surprising one to me 
Minnesota losing two to one, Orlando City, and this was in Minnesota, so Minnesota losing at home. Yet another late winner, dude. What a what a week for just late goals. But this isn't as surprising to me. Uh, Minnesota, they've had a solid start to the season. Um, surprisingly, I mean, with missing Reynoso and just not being at full strength, but. Oscar Pereja just knows how to get his team pulling for him, dude. I I really like the way this Orlando team has been playing. I like the way they've been set up, and I think as the season goes on, they're just going to kind of slowly improve to be better and better. Not going to be like pushing for anything insane, but I think they're definitely going to be in the playoffs and and a team to look out for. Yeah, they're Orlando's in seventh place in the East. Um, they're only six points off the top spot, but they have a game in hand. So I think that's I think that's solid for Orlando, honestly. But we have to talk about it. We already kind of did. But the best game, for us at least, of the weekend was Portland Timbers versus Seattle Sounders. We were at the game. What a game it was. Timbers just completely dominant for the last 20 minutes of the game. Like before then, I'd say first half, Timbers looked better at the very beginning. Sounders kind of found their flow. They dominated most of the first half. Timbers had a little bit of a push towards the end. And then second half is where everything popped off. Yeah, and I don't know. I was so, you know, we were at the game, but so I didn't see it on TV. But I watched the highlights after and then watching stuff while watching the LAFC LA game at halftime. And they went over this game. And You've got like Taylor Twelman, who I am a big fan of, but he's like saying how Seattle was completely dominant, how they look like the best team in the league, like in this game for 70 minutes of the game. And I just really disagree. I think first half was like somewhat even, honestly. I'd say Seattle probably had the edge. We had more shots and more like looks on goal, but theirs were more dangerous for sure. But then, yeah, second half comes out. Seattle looks like they're imposing the game that first like 15 20 minutes of the second half yes Seattle was in control and Rui Diaz gets the goal and I was pretty like not confident Portland would do anything because Seattle came out of halftime looking great but yeah the last 20 minutes I don't see how a team can do that to you score four goals in 18 minutes and you could say they look like the best team in the league for most of that game yeah and when you look at like the game stats, like we had more shots than them. They kind of beat us on possession a little bit, but that's just comes down to like Geo's playing style. Like that's what he prefers. So I don't I don't understand other than like it's kind of the narrative of the media. Like Sounders are a great team. Can't get that wrong. Like they're they're a great team. They have a lot of depth. So I, I just feel like that's just kind of the easy default for like these guys in the media just, just to be like just to say, like, oh, they're a great team. They dominated this game. But when you really, like, we were there, we watched it. Like, they had some really good passing combinations. They had some, like, their goal was a great team goal. They had some really good moves, but it wasn't anything like, it didn't look like they were just dominating us. It definitely wasn't a dominant game from Seattle. Like, that's what I don't understand. I feel, it feels kind of just like making a narrative to make a narrative, like, for media purposes. But yeah, give Portland some flowers. Like I don't I don't understand why like you fawn over Seattle the whole year, which rightfully so, like they've been 
amazing this year. They've been dominant in other games, like last week against St. Louis. But to be like, to, to make that narrative for this game just seems inaccurate, especially when you do have a dominant stretch from like Portland. Like, let's talk about that. Like, how does Seattle just implode like that? I think Schmetzer took off Leo Chu, and that was like a wrong move. I think everybody sees Diaz. that. And Rui Diaz, and he puts in Eber and Freddie Montero. And, but more specifically, the Leo Chu move. Man, just put on the retirement squad up front, dude. <laughs> Leo Chu comes out on their left wing. And then that was really when Mascara kept going up the field. He had so much space. And we got to give credit foremost to Espria for just pulling that bicycle kick out of the bag. And, like, that just completely woke up the team, the stadium. Dude, kind of a little side note, but did you watch the slow-mo replay they posted on, like, the Timbers Instagram of this? Of course I did. You just see Alex rolled on. Jump for a header, spin backwards. His eyes are closed, and he's like screaming. And then you just see like Aspria's foot just go flying past his head and just like smack it into the goal. Did he? I I may be wrong, but didn't Roldan try to like cover his face? Like yeah, he, he got, tried to act like, like he got, he got hit, hit in the face. Yeah. Like they don't have a replay now. Wouldn't have uh wouldn't have doubted it if that sideline ref would have called it for him though. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know for Portland. You know, we're Portland fans. Hopefully this turns around our season. This is kind of what we've been waiting for. We're, we're getting players healthy. Nia's Gota gets a goal. He's His drought is over. Mascara has a banger. You're going to just comb over my boy Nathan Fogasa? Nathan fin- Fogasa, I think, was a huge, like, tide-turning move for us when he came into the game. That guy was, like, pretty electric, bagged a goal, and then he also set up the goal for Nia's Gota, like, Dude kind of came in and just was like the nightmare for like Jackson Reagan. It was, yeah. And I think a more specific, definitely him, but I think Paredes too. You saw in transition how he was just completely outrunning Seattle's midfield in transition. And he was just, he, yeah, Fogasa and then also Paredes. In the buildup, they were silky smooth. Even Nia's Goto was nice with the one-twos, which... Normally, that's not like what we see from Niazagota, but he was feeling it. Yeah, it was interesting to see him actually drop in and try and get involved in build-up play, which is what everybody who looks at him and everybody looks at how the Timbers play, it's like this guy would be so much more effective if he just tried to keep his back to goal, found pockets of space, and played the ball off for these guys that are way faster and then arrive late in the box. But he never has done that for the Timbers before. And that's exactly how he scored today. Like That's literally who was his bread and butter uh, last night. The only other time I can remember him doing that was in the MLS's back tournament. Him and Valeri were doing like similar stuff. They were playing in Ebovisi, I believe. And it was really fun to watch. So hopefully that gets his confidence back. For Seattle, though, let's like, I don't know. I, I see a lot of fans upset because Portland's beat them four times in a row. But like, you don't need to push the panic button if you're Seattle. Like, it's just a blip on the radar. They'll play Minnesota at home next week, which... Minnesota's a good team, but like that should be an easy win for them. Yeah, Seattle. Like I said, there was like moments in that game where, as a, even as a Timbers fan, like it was fun to watch how they were playing. Like similar to how Seattle probably seeing that bicycle kick, it sucked, but it's also like just as a fan of the game, it's like wow, that was amazing to watch. But I even like I kind of elbowed you at one point when um, Seattle. It was they're already down three. 
goals or something, but it was like late in the game and we were still trying to press them to get more. And they were in their own half kind of deep towards their corner. And they had four or five guys just checking to the ball and they were just pinging like one, two touch passes around us. And they managed to like work their way out of like a really good press. Like just moments like that kind of prove to you that this team doesn't have to worry about anything. They have like the basics of how they want to play. They want to dominate the ball and they, they do it well at times. It's just, they just get outclassed by Gio Savarese and the boys in green, dude. Yeah. I wish we could just talk about this game today and next week and the week after all the way until June 2nd or whenever the next game is. (laughs) Yeah. So that'll be that next Cascadia cup game will be a big one for sure. But Let's move on. San Jose hosting Kansas City. 3-0 win for the Earthquakes. Abobasi with a brace. And San Jose is looking good, but I want to focus on Kansas City because what an absolute nightmare start. They've got, I think, two points, three points to start the year, all from draws. I think it's the lowest point total that like an MLS team has had, or the second lowest like that I've seen in league history. So what a nightmare season so far. Five losses, three draws. Is that right? That's right. That is rough. Only 11 goals scored in eight games. Two goals scored. Two goals? Oh, that's right. 11 conceded. My bad. (laughs) (laughs) Two goals scored, 11 conceded, negative nine. That is shocking. I feel bad for them, but also I'm not a big like sporting KC fan. I don't know why I've never been a big fan of I'm spacing his name right now. Their head coach, Peter Vermees, Peter Vermees. I don't understand how that guy's been in the job for so long without winning anything. When's the last time they won a trophy? I want to say they won the open cup in like 2019 or 17 or something. Yeah, The trophy that nobody cares about (laughs) until it's like the semifinals. I I love the open cup, but no, you're right. I think he's definitely been, should have been phased out like by now. Like he makes some interesting they it always kind of surprises me. Kansas City's always rumored with or makes some interesting signings. Like that whole Ronaldo saga. It didn't pan out, but the fact that they were in for that, impressive to me. They got Winston Reed, like Alan Polito, like an imprime, like high scoring Mexican striker. He's been hurt, but I don't know. I think maybe he should stick around like FO front office position, but shouldn't be coach in my opinion. You're right. He uh so I just looked this up. He signed for Kansas City as a technical director in 2006 and was added to the coaching duties in 2009. So that guy's been there for well over a decade now. Yeah, he's the longest by a long shot, I think, currently like appointed coach. Like he's had the longest tenure. And, and he's, he's had like credit to him for just sticking to like the same just philosophy. Like he's always like they were kind of the first team to kind of embody that like tiki taka like four three three but also they haven't won anything doing that man's played a four three three for a decade in mls don't done tiki taka and hasn't done a single thing don't discredit that 2013 mls cup man what they made a run to the final no they won it oh that's right i forgot they got that and i for, for whatever reason i thought rsl won that it's just yeah, they beat that out of my mind. They beat RSL and in penalties, right? Yeah, yeah, in penalties. And I don't know. I was all right. Man won an MLS Cup ten years ago. You know what's sad? 
ours was only like two years after that, so it's been that long for us too. We made the final, I guess, but we made the final twice since then. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm like the opposite of you. I really liked SKC's identity because it's like you said, they're a smaller market. Like they've worked well with what they've had for like their their branding and their like engagement. And yeah, they had a lot of good years where it was like they were one of like the most fun to watch teams in the league. Like I think by a long shot, they always played like good, like attractive a game. But I think now it's just they got to change something. It's gotten stale. And with the way the league has moved, like they're not keeping up with it. And I think they almost just need like to reinvent themselves. They need to drop Peter Vermees or they need Peter Vermees to figure out how to just put some different numbers on the board so he can do a different formation. Like four three three is not the only way to play soccer, dude. <laughs> they need Caleb Porter to come in and work a miracle there. Caleb Porter to do the four two three one that he played for five years in Portland. <laughs> but good win, San Jose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good good on you, dude. Jeremy Abobasi popping up with two goals. Another uh, I love that man. Like we were saying, uh San Jose got 14 points on the season they're in fifth place and love to see it love to see it after like i'd say like a decade of just mediocrity from san jose give crazy george something to celebrate (laughs) it'll be iconic san jose old man that jumps out of the drum or jumps out of the drum and beats another smaller drum (laughs) that's such a weird i don't know why that what does that have to do with earthquakes I don't know, but it is weird that he breaks like a larger drum to come out of it and play a smaller <laughs> drum. Should I should I pull a Brian Schmetzer and just just make fun of their mascot and pretend like I don't know his name? Yeah, like, pretend like you don't know what he is and say you he know plays that, like a different instrument than what he does. That or something. timber timber guy, timber man, <laughs> timber man. Sorry, Seattle. We don't. Where's Brian a... Schmetzer from? What a loser. He's <laughs> Brian Schmetzer is a. I, you know what I respect about him? He, like, cares about Nothing. this. Nothing. No, he cares about that rivalry. Like, he was talking about after the game, he was like, yeah, there was guys in, like, our locker room, like, on the staff, like, making jokes and, like, like having a good time and smiling in the locker room. And Brian Schmetzer was like, this is a rivalry. Like, what are we doing? Why are we, like, why aren't we, like, pissed off right now? Like, we lost to Portland, like, four games in a row. Like, he has the passion, but... Man, I don't know. I mean, I would do the same thing. I, I'd make little digs on Seattle as well, so I get it, like how they have a marching band who plays at their games or they used to have like a whale as a mascot or when they released their TIFO upside down like you talked about last week. Or the how you know, I'm going to stop talking. Just I Seattle. really don't like Brian Schmetzer, dude. Just in general, I just really dislike the guy. Like... Just some of the stuff he said about the Timbers, and then every time I've been to a game and I've watched him on the sideline, he just looks like a jerk. Like, I get it's like a rivalry, but like, dude, like, for example, this past game against the Timbers at one point, hard tackle on Mosquera, like one of our best players. He's down holding his ankle. It's well after the play. They go on a counterattack, and then they like get in our half and they just start possessing the ball. Usually, I understand a counterattack, but when the game slows down, and you don't have a clear chance. Like, they just keep passing the ball around. At that point, it's on you as a coach. Like, why do you not just kick the ball out and, like, have some respect for, like, an, another human being on the field? Like, that's where it kind of transcends, like, the rivalry. 
You know, you know, if it was vice versa, he would have been like complaining after the game he, because Geo. I feel like, you know, we we complain about Geo a lot um, for Portland, but he's always like one of the most sportsmanlike. Like he, like even today, like one of the reporters or yesterday after the game asked him to comment about the officiating and if he thought it was unfair, and Geo was like, "No, I'm gonna decline." Like, I thought the referees did like an did an okay job. Like. He's not going to be out complaining about refs, but Brian Schmetzer, yeah, I don't know what that was. Like, why not instruct, instruct your team to, like, play it out? Like, and it seems like Seattle's had, like, a weird amount of, like, meltdowns, like, from, like, in random games. Like, they kind of lose the plot of it. They didn't, I mean, their play on the pitch was a meltdown, obviously, because they let in four goals in less than 20 minutes. But there was that. There was last year they had, like, that red card up in Seattle, which changed the game. There was that classic game where they got like four red cards in the open cup. Like sometimes those guys just like I don't know what the like what the locker room's like, but if things don't go exactly their way, they kind of seem unhinged sometimes. That's what happens when your head coach played longer as a professional indoor soccer player than he did outdoors. Man played for the San Diego Soccers for seven years, dude. <laughs> what I don't know. Freaking nutty professor looking <laughs> guy. I, what a weirdo. Oh, man. You know Seattle's like our third biggest market for our podcast, right? Yeah, I know. I get that. We gave them all their flowers. They play great. They're a great team. They have a lot of talent. Everybody fawns over them. But their coach is a freaking weirdo, and I don't like him, dude. He's got weird glasses, weird hair, big old baldy. Like, got this receding hairline. Like, you, just commit to the bald, dude. That's the difference between us and your... Your corporate MLS media. We're gonna we're gonna give credit to we're gonna give credit where credit's due, like Seattle. And we're not just gonna talk about how the lesser team was completely dominant in a game they lost by four to one against their biggest rivals for the fourth game in a row. Yeah, I don't know. I know I was all last week saying Geo out, but as a person I love Geo and he had a way better playing career than Brian Schmetzer. Long live the Cascadia Cup, though. I think that's what yeah, let's, we can all agree let's on. Let's move on, dude. I'm, this, we were talking about a completely different game. We weren't even talking about Portland-Seattle, and then we went back to Seattle. Because <laughs> you, got, you I got, got... I'm fired up, dude. I'm you freaking got caught fired up on up. the nutty professor. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Here's a shocking game, actually. St. Louis 5 at home against Cincinnati. And St. Louis is back atop of the Supporters' Shield. Uh, because Cincinnati was, but since they just destroyed them at home, and obviously they deserved to completely win this game. They were all over Cincinnati, but the <laughs> this is the one that's going to get memed on online because when people watch St. Louis, this is the sort of stuff they think of. Um, 57th minute, St. Louis player takes a shot outside the box, hits the bottom post, goalkeeper for Cincinnati makes a dive for it, and then the ball ricochets off the post into the Cincinnati goalkeeper's back, flies right in the back of the net. MLS uh, posted it and just commented FIFA goal. I don't know what kind of freaking voodoo they're doing out in St. Louis, man, but everything just seems to be going their way, and they do not play like an attractive style. But I guess that's like credit to them and just the beauty of this sport is that there is no one way to play it. Like you can play this just weird chaos style that doesn't look super attractive, but 
Meanwhile, you're getting all these results and you're top of the league. You don't think Cincinnati was the dominant team for 70 minutes in this game? <laughs> no, I'm not Taylor Twelman. Yeah, I mean, what else can you say? Like, they had a couple of blips. Like, they lost two in a row. One, they got blown out by Seattle. And, like, way to bounce back. Because a lot of newer teams, like Austin, when they came to the league, they started off the year not bad. But then they just had a poor, like, really long string of games. But St. Louis, they've got, like, some sort of, like, mojo. I don't know. Like, credit to them. They've got a good coaching staff, and they just they put it all together. Yeah, I I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> I want to clarify. Like, two things can be true at once. Like, St. Louis is a great team, but also I have my opinion of I just do not like watching them. I don't like them as a team. They're not fun. Like, I don't like the style of soccer they play. Jared Stroud, absolutely dislike that guy. Kind of a banger, though. I don't know if you saw that goal, but... I don't know. I'm, no comment. I'm, here's another thing I'll disagree with. Yeah. I. So everybody likes to see like those, like a tiki taka, like a just fun to watch passing sequence. But St. Louis is definitely chaotic, but they're scoring a lot of goals at least. Sometimes you see this sort of style and it's like 1 0, 2 1, like not a lot of goals. But I mean, these guys have the most goals scored in the league so far. So. Yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> it's It's one of those things that's like. They score a lot of goals, but the type of goals they're scoring are not exciting. Like, yeah, dude, you had the center back pass the ball to your best striker, and he just, like, slots it in the bottom corner while he's inside the 18. Whoop-de-doo. Like, that's, I don't not, mean. that's not fun to watch for me. It's like, yeah, you just you had a press, you won the ball up there, and you scored a goal. Like, as like a... a You're making me defend St. Louis As here. like a true, like... Somebody just loves the sport. I understand like what's happening and I understand how they're creating those opportunities. And like as a coach myself, I will implement that same kind of thing, but like I won't just completely like hinge my whole game plan on that, you know? I don't know. I mean, honestly, it seems one of those things for me like if that's what we're having to criticize is that they don't do it the prettiest and they're still top of the league. That's no, so impressive to I me. I know, I can't say like they're not I can't say they're not a good team, but I, personally, I don't like it. And I'm going there in two weeks, and I don't want to see it happen to the Timbers again. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that one. That'll be interesting. I think that'll be one of our games of the week since you'll be going for that week. But last game of the week, and it just ended like an hour ago as we're recording this, El Trafico and LAFC winning 3-2. to two at LA Galaxy, Vela had a nice... It was that classic Carlos Vela just cutting in and just hitting it in the far side of the goal. The Mexican Aryan Robin. That's right. Tyler Boyd gets his first goal for the Galaxy, but this is just a weird game because the Galaxy supporters group is still kind of doing their boycott of Chris Klein, their president. So the atmosphere was kind of weird. LAFC fans, like they always do, traveled really well and were really loud, but... They traveled. They traveled out of L.A. to Carson to go watch this game. <laughs> no, I mean, well, obviously they travel well there, but like they send like big groups to like far out places. Like I'm always pretty impressed with away days fans and MLS because over in Europe it's such a cakewalk to like go to a opposing team's game as compared to here. Like Portland, our closest rivalry, it's like a four and a half hour drive for us to, to get yeah. to their stadium. So. 
Yeah. I to see it. Did you see um the letter that their president sent out to like all their like season ticket holders? I did. Yeah. What was your opinion on that? Because I I had some like mixed feelings. Like I respect him sending a letter out, but also like the plan that they had and like the just kind of the stature of their club just didn't make sense to me. It was kind of a low bar. He pretty much said if we don't like make the playoffs or like build on what we did last year or something like that, he'll like resign. Which I mean, I kind of I don't know. At least I see he's communicating with fans, but I guess he kind of has to like in the position they're in, but I don't know. I think the, like a lot of LA galaxy fans are saying, no, he, he has to go either way. But like, what if they turn it around? We've seen an MLS team start like this, but then end up winning a cup. I think if they do that, like keep them in, if they have a successful year, but I don't know. I will see what happens, I guess, but I think it just depends on the results. Like it just all results driven. And if they can't deliver, then sure. It's just, it's like shocking what you find out when you kind of dig into where, when you dig into where like LA Galaxy has been. Cause like, so in that letter, he talks about how when they hired Greg Vanny as the head coach, he had a five year plan. First year was to make playoffs. Second year, essentially same thing. But did you find, like, did you hear that like they didn't have a full time scout until they hired Greg Vanny? Seriously, they didn't have a full time scouting department until they hired Greg Vanny, which like a so for anybody who's not like a huge MLS fan, LA Galaxy, whenever you talk about MLS to anybody like overseas, definitely the biggest team. They have the most championships. They have the biggest name because they brought David Beckham to the league. Um, So everybody knows LA Galaxy. They were like the just kind of the the model team. Yeah, like the model, like they were the titan of the league for a long time. And just to find out that they've fallen off so far that they didn't even have like a full time scout for their for their club until Greg Vanny came in and they didn't have any sort of like real plan to like make playoffs or to be pushing or like they tried a while back to do like a youth centric focus. And I don't know if you remember this, but they started playing like more of their youth players, but they did it in just the worst way possible. They just threw seven of them on the field at once and then just watched them get demolished. And they're like, yeah, we're not going to play youth players anymore. And so it's just no real direction from LA Galaxy until all of a sudden now it's like they they just started having direction last year. And now like everybody's like, dude, get this guy out of here. We hate our president. But where was like the, all this animosity years ago when there was no real direction? Yeah, they've. It was like 2016, I feel like, was the end. Because, like, you know, they won three cups from 2011 to 14. And then they made the playoffs the next two years. And then 2016, Bruce Arena left. And it was just garbage from them. They had Kurt Analfo, who was their USL team's coach, promoted up. And I think that's when that youth movement started. He maybe lasted a year, year and a half. I don't remember. He didn't do great. They hired... um I forget how it's pronounced, but it's that Guillermo Barro guy, like the Argentinian coach. He was coach of Boca Juniors. That didn't really pan out. They had the whole Zlatan era, and they've definitely been overshadowed by this glitzy LAFC team who's like the talk of the town. But I don't know. When I, like, Eli Lester from This Week in MLS says, like, you still go to LA and, like, people all over still wearing LA Galaxy stuff. So, like, that name is still there, which is, like, I'm glad it hasn't completely demolished, but I don't know. I when One thing I'm not a huge fan of, 
is like this is performance related and they're just like boycotting games and not showing up that has to rub off on the players like why not support your team like make a statement express something like write a letter back but like not supporting your team and going to games is one of my biggest pet peeves because like as a fan that's literally what our job is to do like you go to a game you support a team if I was a player why would I like play for you when you like you're mad at our president so you don't show up to cheer for us yeah it's especially like in a rivalry match like this that's so close like you're within the same town um it's crazy because they had a bunch of they have multiple different supporters groups opposed to like the timbers just have the like the timbers army they have like multiple i think it was five yeah i saw they have five different ones that announced they weren't going to go to the game and a lot of them were saying it was going to be like very fitting to watch lafc take over their stadium because lafc's taken over their market but i don't know it's Going back to what you're saying about ever since Bruce Arena left, I heard the guys on like Extra Time podcast were talking about this, but they said it's very similar to like Sir Alex Ferguson leaving Man United. Like it was more so a cult of his personality. Like Bruce Arena just led that club and like it was his personality and his guidance that kept them afloat. And as soon as he left, they just have fallen off like on a steady just decline. But I don't know. It's kind of sad to see LA Galaxy, they have like, such a solid history and they have such high expectations and they're in like a really good area. I don't know why they aren't competing for the same players that LA like LAFC are like they're in a great area. People all over the world, all these players, they know where LA is like they vacation there. So you, you would think they'd be able to pull in guys like Dennis Buonga guys like Carlos Vela. Like they should be able to get guys like that, but instead they get just, freaking retirement home chicharito who's just barely able to get out on the field and when they don't have chicharito they look terrible like yovalich is great but that's with like chicharito taking up space chicharito has been a solid signing for them i think douglas costa like that's the embodiment of like the modern la galaxy dp like that's the, what happens when you don't have a scouting department, dude. You just are like, this guy had, used to be really good in FIFA three years ago. You got Dennis Buonga on one side, and then for of this rivalry, and then you Douglas, have Costa. Douglas Costa in the stands because he got a red card in the last game. Yeah, but that's that's this week um, in the league in MLS play. Oh, man, I don't know why I'm getting so fired up about freaking LA Galaxy. So next up, we're going to do a new little segment. This is something that Jacob and I have talked about in the past, but we're going to talk about some awards. There, There's awards within the league that get named after iconic people like um, the Landon Donovan like Golden Boot Award or like Coach of the Year is the Siggy Schmidt like Coach of the Year Award. So... We've come up with some players that we think are kind of some cult heroes within the league that deserve to have some obscure awards named after them. And I'm going to lead it off. I'm going to go with our first one that I think is, to me... Can I preface this by saying, yeah, these are more cult picks. These aren't, like, legit things we... <laughs> like. This, there's, there isn't, like, a whole lot of stats for us to back this up, especially because it's just kind of early in the season. We just thought this was, like, fun to talk about. So this is kind of based off so far in the season and also just, like, our, like, opinions we've already had before the season, if that makes sense. But 
First up, we have the Mike Petkey Pettiest Coach Award. This this is named after Petkey because of his uh his uh shenanigans with the media when he showed up with like printed out pictures of a call that a referee missed or something. The post game the post game press conference, yeah. Some call happened at RSL when he was coached there and my man, I respect the dedication because yeah, he prints out a bunch of like just screenshots of like the call that was missed or whatever. And then he just went on this loose cannon rant about how he would have printed more, but the printer was like broken or like it ran out of ink or something like that. So it's kind of a, it's a great MLS iceberg moment, which we'll get to later maybe. But this one today, it's a double header. We already ragged on the guy enough, but he's come. We're bringing him back in. Brian Schmetzer. We're bringing him back out. The for nutty some more. professor. Give it up for him. He has received the Petkey Pettiest Coach Award for the first eight weeks of the season. And <laughs> this is what you get for getting smacked 4 1 at your rival's house and then just. <laughs> calling our calling our mascot that timber guy acting like he doesn't know when he's been a part of the rivalry for like 40 years man and, used to play for sounders also was like the assistant coach forever so he he knows who are so taking it back before we go on a rant about this too much there i think it was last year or the year before somebody was asking him questions and he referred to our mascot who's iconic at most people in the league know our mascot timber joey who's a lumberjack legitimate lumberjack in real life aside from his job and brian schmetzer pulls his little oblivious nutty professor just oh the either lumberman or their timberman or whatever it's just and he just dismisses him and starts ragging on our mascot out of all people who's a great person that's involved in a lot of charities and does like all sorts of like hospital visits for like make a wish kids and just great person i've met him multiple times awesome guy yeah, and this just goes also for him. Like he said, like he just he makes these little disses, which I think it's dumb, but like I kind of get it. Like he's just kind of trying to stir up some stuff. But man, this guy when he loses, it's like I feel like not very classy. Like there's a lot of coaches in the league, regardless of the result, they'll kind of own up to it and stuff. But this guy's just annoying sometimes, man. But we've already talked about him enough, so let's move on to our other winner of the Petkey Pettiest Coach Award. This is a yeah, this is a joint award today. Honestly, it should have gone to this second person because he was a lot more unhinged with the media. But Bruce Arena, so his team lets a 98th minute goal in, (laughs) and he was complaining pretty much that there was five minutes added, but they scored in the 98th minute. So the timing was a little strange, but. So first, he's kind of calling out his own player and his his own player, Dylan Barrero, Colombian international, gets sent off and he's a young guy. So Bruce Arena goes, he's a young, immature player and you're in a game with a referee that's also probably immature as well. So he just <laughs> quick little jab there. Next, though, he's <laughs> he's talking about he's talking about how the second or the fourth official was pretty, he says, the fourth official is useless at the end of the game, the entire game, and then for some reason she voiced her opinion 98 and a half minutes into the game. And he also goes on to say 
they're going to use their phony baloney standards of clear and obvious. Like, why does everything take so long? He just was unhinged just on the post-game media. So, Dude, you love to see it. You love to see just Bruce Arena, because he's iconic for this. Like, most people know he's just not very friendly to the media, but to watch him just start just talking just crap about Chris Pinso, like, a guy who's like an MLS, like, veteran referee guy's been around for like quite a few years in the league but then he's talking about the fourth official official megan mullen and he just starts talking about how she has to uh, like input her view on the game all of a sudden i feel like fourth officials don't do a whole lot honestly they're just kind of they're like the punching bag for the coaches to yell at when they when they're upset about something when they put up that board they just get screamed at by yeah, they're like they're just there to kind of like walk walk out there, get yelled at by the both coaches, and then get drinks thrown on them by the home fans when their team loses. LAFC. <laughs> Anyways, no, I'm just kidding. I wish I wish Bruce Arena was this hyped when he was coaching our boys in Trinidad. But hey, let's. Uh, I'm gonna bring that up. No, I'm not. Let's let's move on from that. We're gonna move on to our next award, and we have the. Freddie Adu Wonder Kid Wasted Talent Award. This is this goes to just a guy who's an MLS player who's young, super hyped up. Everybody thinks he's going to be the next big thing. He's going to go to Europe. He's going to be this huge star and then just absolutely throws it away. And this award goes to who, Jacob? Efran Alvarez from the LA Galaxy. I think he's like 20 now, which is crazy. Cause, he's only yeah, 20. He was breaking into the first team like five years ago. He's like 15. Same team as Lachlan Ibrahimovic on Twitter and like on U.S. soccer circles. We're like fighting against Liga or Mexico soccer fans. Like who's going to get this guy because he's going to carry your national team? Nope. Nobody wants, nobody wants him anymore. Like both national teams don't care about him. But like you said, even Zlatan came out in an interview and said that he's like one of the best youth players he's ever seen. His touch on the ball is amazing. But he has like a real problem with like professionalism. Like he doesn't really seem to care about his professional career. He you could tell when you like see as he's grown, like a lot of guys as they hit 20, they look like really strong and like fit. He's got not such a fit build about him. Um and he just He's never been like super professional, which is really sad to see a guy that when he's on, he's on. Like he did it against the Timbers a couple of years ago, just sort of banging shots from far out that were going off the post, like forcing our keeper to make great saves. Dude's a great talent, but absolutely wasted it. So for that reason, he is our Freddie Adu wasted talent yeah, award. I think his best moment in the league so far was that. It was kind of a banger from outside the box. It was Charlotte's first ever home game where they had like they broke the attendance record like with seventy plus thousand. And <laughs> poor, since poor then, Charlotte, dude, poor Charlotte, just first home game, and the, the one guy has just been checked out for the past five years. He, he turned it up there. Up. Who we got oh. next? What's the what's the next award? Next award, we have the David Ochoa. MLS Villain Award. If anybody remembers David Ochoa, very short-lived MLS, like any sort of relevancy. My man popped off for two and a and half months league. in the man, league. <laughs> man popped off to he, – he was a goalkeeper for RSL during the playoffs in 2021 was the year that I think he um, really rose to relevancy. 
And that was uh, when RSL made it to the conference finals and they beat Seattle by producing zero shots on goal across 120 minutes. My man, David Ochoa, was time-wasting from the first whistle. Every time he got the ball, he'd go to the ground, hold the ball. He was at Seattle, so he was just getting absolutely abused. He was like jeering the fan. He's he jeering was, the fans. Like I remember watching that, he was just like loving it. I kind of, you kind of love to see players feed off of that negative energy. Another thing, though, he did, which kind of gave him that villain like title, was I think it was Minnesota. He was playing at Minnesota, and he had a great game against them. Like, he gets the match ball, like, at the full-time whistle and just punts it into their supporter section. <laughs> like, not like he was trying to hit somebody specific. He just kind of kicks it up there. And Minnesota, like, were pissed off at this guy. They Adrian Heath called him, like, a little boy in the press conference afterwards. And, like, it, they he was a hated guy. I didn't think it was, like, that big of a deal. But he kind of rode that momentum, I feel like, and made himself a name. He tried to do that after beating the Sounders. He tried to do the same thing in Portland, and we just slotted a few past him and made it to the MLS Cup final. But anyways, so that is who this award is named after. But (coughs) the person we picked for the MLS, the David Ochoa MLS Villain Award, is none other than St. Louis's freaking little whiny baby boy, Jared Stroud. You you got to take the reins on this one. I'm not qualified to speak on this. Chase has a personal vendetta against Jared Stroud. Listen here, dude. I freaking hate Jared Stroud. Man couldn't even get on the field for Austin FC. Just a failed MLS player. All of a sudden goes to this new team. Yeah, yeah, whatever. They know how to press. They know how to score some freaking little baby little tap-in goals. But Jared Stroud... Every time you watch this guy, it's like it's like he spends more time just flapping his mouth at the referee. Dude just sitting there just whining about every little call. It's like, dude, shut up. You're up 4-1. Why are you crying right now? Like he just in like his body, like the way he his stupid mannerisms. This guy is an MLS villain. I feel like every team, like most fans, I was the same way before we played St. Louis, like you're like, oh, good on them. Like, they're doing pretty good. And then once your team plays against them and you see how, like, they act and how they, like, just grind for fouls and they're just super annoying, you're just like, dude, I hate Jared Stroud. That guy is so annoying. He's just running around the field. He's, like, grabbing his jersey and, like, telling the ref, like, the guy was pulling on his jersey. He's doing, like, the whole, like, give him a card. Like, he's doing that stupid gesture. Like, just shut up. Just shut up, Jared Stroud. And at the end of the day, he has to put on his jersey with a dog food company on the front. Yeah, freaking Perina. Dog chow. Perina, freaking dog chow. Gosh, what a loser, man. I just, I really dislike that guy a lot. It's and a I very... think I think most people, after their team plays against them, especially if you're there in person and like you can kind of see the whole picture and you see how he acts, he's without a doubt an MLS villain. The way you describe him is like a four-year-old nightmare, like Dude, he misbehaved is. child. He, he's like if you're refereeing like a like a U six like like soccer game, and you have the, like those annoying parents that are yelling at you. Imagine you take like that energy and you put it into like a child. Like that's Jared Stroud. It's a it's a very unhealthy topic. Apparently, it's Jared Stroud for the show. Gosh. That guy annoys me so much. Let's move on. Let's move on. This is one. This is one I came up with. It's close to home for me because, as a big MLS fan, the Andrea Pirlo 
aging European star who phones it in. Andrea Pirlo, he showed up and he didn't want to do anything but eat pizza and drink wine in New York. He did not want to play soccer. He scored one free kick goal and then whatever was left of his legs just didn't seem to want to do anything. But as MLS is kind of phased out, we don't really have those sort of aging European players like we used to. And we have one here, and I want to preface this by saying I don't even think he's that bad. I think he's committed to his team. He just hasn't really performed like we expect. But Shakiri for the Chicago Fire. Jordan Shakiri, dude. They look better without him on the field. Sad to say, because he doesn't even seem like he's fully checked out. Like He still seems somewhat invested, but yeah. I believe he scored at the World Cup, too, this last it's a couple months ago. It's so. great to see like the fact that our league has kind of progressed beyond these just random aging European guys. Like remember when LA Galaxy's big signing was Ashley Cole? <laughs> like we're just gonna bring in like a random old English like left back and hope that he's gonna turn our season around. Like I'm so glad our league is beyond that, but this is kind of like the last like little phase of it. Like we have like a Shakiri. I can't think of, like, another random European star. I guess, like, Chicharito was in Europe for a long time, but he doesn't feel like it because he's, like, a Mexican international, so he's, like, so tied in with, like, the North American soccer scene. I Same think with, like, Ace Ace and guys like that. The only one who I was going to pick, but he actually left this offseason, was Alexander Pato, who I honestly forgot was even in the league. And he just came in and he was another guy I don't think was bad. He was just hurt the whole time. He couldn't really make it anything of an impact for Orlando city. Yeah. There isn't, there isn't really anybody else. Like a few years ago you had like your Steven Gerrard's, your Schweinsteigers. You had like other guys that were still in the league, but Frank Lampard, Pirlo even, but we phased that out as a league surprisingly. And I think it's like, I think a couple like are fine because you can see players who are bought in at the end of their career and can contribute, but it's just finding that balance and then not having to 100% rely on these signings, having a good mix and variety. How about our last? No, we got two more awards here. We kind of do, yeah. The The last one's like a, like a quick one that we could run over, but second to last award... This is one that is just purely based on opinion of all things. Um, and it's it's just like a, a cult player for me and Jacob. But this is the Darren Maddox, the player who draws the most penalties award. Darren Maddox, Vancouver, just probably like legend at that point, I'd say. Like, dude just was lights out for Vancouver for a long time. Came to Timbers and... Every time we'd watch that guy was electric on the ball, but would never score. He would just bomb up the field and then just draw a penalty. You do like a you do that thing where like you're in FIFA and you turn the other like you turn the opposite direction and go back the other way. Yeah. And he just dribbles straight into a giant center back who would chop him down. And just draw a penalty. He was super fast and could jump really high for a guy that was like his height. But yeah, th- I I guess this award more so comes down to like just a chaotic winger award. Chaos chaotic like, winger who doesn't really have an end product. This is this award is the Darren Maddox really fast guy who's chaotic and doesn't score goals award. And we're going to go ahead and give it to none other than Emmanuel Boateng. 
former LA Galaxy player, now a uh, depth piece, depth piece at New England. Just kind of know where he's really, what he's even really doing anymore. Honestly, <laughs> he came in last uh, this weekend. Another another honorable mention I want to say is um oh man, Kyrie Shelton. That guy just he, big body gets into the gets into these spots. No end product, dude. Yeah, and so it, we're talking about players like that. Yeah, who just they they have these moments on the ball where like, wow, this guy's really good. This was a Spria for the longest time. Super like flashy on the ball, gets in the box, turnover every time. But Emmanuel Boateng, congratulations on the Darren Maddox Chaos Winger of the Year. Emmanuel Boateng, come on the show, please. We would love to interview you about your most recent award. But moving on to our last award, this is going to be a quick one because we're kind of running low on time here. This is the Dyrone Espria player who just turns it on at the end of the season. Everybody calls him Mr. November, Mr. October, whatever you want to call him because MLS season just keeps just shifting wherever playoffs are at. But the guy who just absolutely turns it on at the end of the season, Dyrone Espria Award. This guy is made for the big moment. And in the spirit of him just completely changing his team for the season with that bicycle kick, just this one's named after him and it goes to him because this guy just delivers in any big moment. He just, you get him a game against Chicago Fire at home, you're not going to see anything. You give him a game where we need to win to, to make playoffs, a game against Seattle, anything like that. MLS Championship, Dyron's going to score. You know, it's only fitting that this award goes to Dyron right now. But later on in the season, towards the end of the year, when we start talking about, like, best 11, we start talking about other awards, it might not be him. But as of right now, Dyron Espria, come collect your Dyron Espria best player at the end of the year award. <laughs> and please come on the podcast. Yep, we're just an hour an hour south of Portland about. So come on the show, Dyron. But I say... That's kind of that kind of wraps up our awards that we have. Um, running low on time, we we're gonna we were gonna do some MLS iceberg, but I, I think we should save that for next week, and we should just hop on in to our match predictions for next week. Match predictions, you wanna you wanna get us going? First game, we got New York City FC versus FC Dallas. New York City FC is hosting. Uh, what do you think of this game, Jacob? Ah. Uh... You know, I, I'm gonna go FC Dallas. I'm gonna get go one nil on the road. One nil on the road. I disagree. Why? I'm gonna go New York City FC two one solely because New York City FC starting to build some momentum, and they have their super weird, super weird field. Like, I don't know if you've seen, but a lot of teams. They have to like train on a modified field to get ready for New York City SC because they have different dimensions. Which is which of their four home their stadiums? Their weird Yankee Stadium, like super narrow, long field, which plays advantage to them, dude. Like they get they get used to playing on this weird field that not many teams are used to. So when they come to town, like they just don't know how to play. But moving on, next game we got the LA Galaxy versus Austin FC. I. I'm not sure. Austin's just in a just a terrible run of form here. LA Galaxy not looking that great either. 
this is just the tale of two terrible defenses, dude. Like, just two sides of a coin that look exactly... It's like if you flipped a coin and both sides were heads. It's like, like just terrible on both sides. You got Austin, who's got Amro Tarek, who is not an adequate Man's going to just freaking pull out the best volley of his life into his own net. From four yards away from his goal. <laughs> and then LA Galaxy's got Mobby All's brother in defense, Chris Mavinga, who... <laughs> Just plays the exact same way. Like a 34-year-old just passed it defender. Going to react two seconds late and just backheel it into his own net as well. <laughs> it's the classic thing with Mabiel. Cross gets fizzled in. Mabiel's the first guy in the post. Man's out there doing TikTok dances <laughs> in the box. The ball hits like the inside of his heel and then like flies directly at our goalkeeper's face. And he has to either make a reactionary save or... I don't know. I'm going, regardless of that, I'm going 2-0 LA Galaxy. I think they're going to be fired up after this El Trafico loss. I don't see there being much in it for either team. I'm going to go 1-1. I was going to just say a nil-nil draw because both offenses haven't looked that great, but I'm going to say 1-1 because both defenses are so bad. Who scores? Preston Judd getting on the field for LA Galaxy. Going to get his first goal of the season. Austin FC, none other than uh, what's his name? John Gallagher. No, no, no. Uh, Rigoni or Veroni or who's their random their, DP guy that hasn't dude, done anything so far? That guy doesn't score. Remember, you told me he makes progressive carries per game. Progressive carries straight into the box and slots it into the top left. <laughs> hey, my man scored one penalty in the preseason. And <laughs> hey, man, don't discount penalty goals. Moving on, we have Atlanta hosting Chicago. What do you got for this game? I'm a big Chicago Fire I love lover, but I think Atlanta at home. I don't know if Tiago Amato will be back, but I don't think Chicago's really gonna be able to get it done here. I would love, I would absolutely love a Chicago upset here, but Atlanta's starting to look dangerous offensively, and I don't know. Even if Almada's not playing, Jumakas has been on target recently a lot. They've got just a lot of good pieces. Yeah, I don't know, man. This is a tough one because I think a lot of this hinges on Tiago Almada, and I don't know if he's going to be back for this game or not. And I don't know, dude. I just I like the momentum that Chicago's building, and I could see this just being a just a typical MLS game where Chicago goes to Atlanta. The freaking train horn is not not doing much. You know, they aren't doing too much, just blowing of the train horn. Um, I'm going to go 2-1 Chicago, but I think it's going to it's gonna be left to late. I think Atlanta is probably going to get an early goal, and I think Chicago is going to have to build their way back into it, and Kai Kamara is going to be huge, dude. I think Kai so, Kamara is going to dunk on Miles Robertson. So not only is Chicago winning this game, they're winning from a goal down, so Chicago is going to come – from a losing position and just dunk on Atlanta? Absolutely. I, I think, love it. I think Kai Kamara, they're going to be down 1-0 at halftime. Kai Kamara is going to just tell their, their coach to sit down at halftime. He's going to give a just team talk of his lifetime, and they're going to pull the game back in the second half. But that's it for our score predictions. But I want to, real quick, before we end the podcast, we didn't go over our score predictions from last week. We went over the games, but we didn't talk about it. Last week, we predicted Colorado and New England. Jacob got the result correct without getting the scoreline correct, so that's one point for him. 
Timbers in Seattle, we were both incorrect with our predictions. Red Bulls in Houston, I predicted the scoreline completely correct. Jacob was wrong. So with our total points, I have leapt over Jacob for the first time. He's on 12 points. I am now on 13 points. The first time Let's Chase go. brings up the, the the points prediction. It only but. took me eight weeks of the season to finally take him over. Here we go. And we're not we're actually never going to do that again. So no more score predictions. So. I'm just going to predict scores on my own and just keep adding points to my own side. Good job, Chase. Do <laughs> you have any uh, anything else you want to discuss? Anything that grinds your gears? Some MLS iceberg? Brian Schmetzer, the Seattle Sounders, the city of Seattle, Raul Ruiz Diaz, marching bands. Dude, imagine you. if like those like two people that view our podcast in Seattle are actually just like Brian Schmetzer's like wife and daughter or something. And we just spent this whole podcast just ragging on him. I'm sure he's a he's probably a good dad or whatever he is. I don't know. Hate him as a coach. You know what? We should probably wrap this up. We we don't have enough. We have had too much Brian Schmetzer slander. We us Portland fans, we get one win over. You mean four in a row, dude? Over our rival, first first actual good win of the season, and we're just unhinged on the podcast. Four four wins in a row, but we should we should probably wrap this up. Um, thank you for listening. Please email us at uh, mlsnetboys at gmail if you got any questions, concerns, if you want to make a case for why Brian Schmetzer isn't a terrible person or why Jared Stroud deserves a second chance, uh, please let us know. But that's all I have today. You got anything else to say before we wrap it up, Jacob? I think that's it. We'll see you guys next week for episode 11. Keegan Hughes, come on the show.